Welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your secret keeper and confidant, Lauren White. I'm a qualified counsellor and sexologist, facilitator of all things turn on, author of permission, and a witty, highly intuitive lounge room dancing introvert. I help you as an exceptional woman in entrepreneurship to see, love, and trust all the parts of yourself, especially the unseen. Let's pull back the curtain, light the candelabra, and lift the veil. These are the secrets women keep. Hello, and welcome to the Secrets Women Keep podcast. I am your host and confidant, Lauren White, and today we have an extremely excellent guest. Her name is Crystal Davis. She is the ultimate disruptor. She made her first million dollar sale in 20, 2004, sorry, at age 21. She is a Guinness World Record holder for endurance cycling and the only bespoke world record designer for brands. She is the ultimate legacy maker, generating over 10 million plus, and I'm sure it's even more than that by now, in revenue for clients and companies and turning thought leaders into historical figures within their own lifetime. To be clear, certified world records are the ultimate peak in unique, powerful brand proof that help business owners shape the future of entrepreneurship while writing their own name in the history books. Oof. Crystal entertains an active international following of four plus million through her writing, speaking, and guest appearances. And her and her world records are featured all across the board. We're talking HBO, ABC, SBS, Sydney Morning Herald, one of my favorites, an elephant journal. Without a shadow of a doubt, her clients become the ultimate example of elite success that can be handed down the generations. Deep breath. Crystal, welcome to the Secrets Women Keep. <laughs> now I've got to live up to the bio. <laughs> the you. pressure. So no pressure, no pressure. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm pumped. Yes, yes, we are going to have a lot of fun and I'm so grateful you're here. We are speaking in different time zones. I'm in Australia. You are in Italy where you live and play and work. And oh, can you tell us before I ask, before I ask anymore, can you tell us a little bit about what that is like being an Aussie living in Italy? Listen, it's not for the faint of heart. That's Mm. what I'm going to say. Um, starting the day with coffee and cake, I'm, I'm here for that part. That is, that is really good. But yeah, I am, I'm a single mom and I live in a very small village. Um, and I'm the only foreign person in my village. I'm the only person that speaks English. So it's definitely been an immersive experience. Let's say that. And been here through the pandemic. So I've been here about five years now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's like with anything, visiting a country is very different to living there. Yeah. And when you're a, an expat or an immigrant, I don't even know why we have different words for that. A person living in another country, um, you definitely get to see the parts, the underbelly of a country and, and the cultural differences and stuff. So I'm always on my toes. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's parts of the lifestyle here that are so gorgeous. Like there's a daily nap non-negotiable people the shops will shut from 12 till 4 everybody is asleep don't even come for me we are eating and we are sleeping so um that's really beautiful and the food is just 
incredible. Um, I live 20 minutes from the best pizzeria in the world. It's been voted that multiple times. So, you know, I'm not no complaints. It's a <laughs> baptism of fire being a single mum, giving birth in another country where nobody wow. speaks your language and stuff. Yeah, whole nother, whole nother level. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it's my own fault. I'm so adventurous. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. I kind of have a boring life. Um, but yeah, it's 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 ups and downs, like with anybody living in a another country and away from your family and all that kind of stuff, especially during the pandemic. I think mm. that really brought home the distance. Mm. Um, but we've been home back to, I'm from Tasmania, so all my family is still back in Tassie, which is, is about as far as you can get from where I am. I yeah. don't think you can actually get further, maybe Antarctica. Yeah, Antarctica um, would be the furthest, but... Let's not let's not turn this into a competition. And you are you are the furthest far, you can okay. be. <laughs> it's like a two day trip there. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, but we've been back. We went back for Christmas and went back for Easter. So that's been beautiful. Mm-hmm. But you know, having the the two pandemic aside, having the op- opportunity to live in two different countries, I think, is something exceptional. And being able to take on a second language, all this stuff, I think, is just enriches life. Yeah. Yeah. And your one of your previous businesses was around, was it around being a digital nomad? Is that, yeah. can you walk us yeah. through, was that your first business? Yeah. So um, my career, my trade, I suppose, is in sales coaching. Um, so I've been doing that since I was about 18, 39 now. <laughs> Don't be counting. Don't be counting the wrinkles, but it was a long time ago. So 21 years since I started coaching. And then, yeah, um, I worked for a corporate and did a lot of good work there. But then I I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis and had surgery for that. And just I think that was the wake up call that I I couldn't go back to a job. I've been unemployable since then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So so what could I do? Started a coaching business of my own and, and traveled the world. So I was a digital nomad and I was coaching other digital nomads to make kind of real cash. Um, not just side hustles, but but real money, and did that for a long time till I felt fell pregnant. So then settled down here, um, and yeah, so I've been coaching sales and income and all of that kind of stuff for for twenty one years. Mm, wow, wow. Okay, there's more nuance in this. Crystal's being very humble at the moment. There's more nuance. There are, I have questions. The first okay. question I have is. What meaning do you make of your stage four endometriosis looking back? Oh, my God. Nobody's ever asked me that question. What a good question. Well, first of all, I was completely ignoring my physical needs Mm -hmm. um, and even my soul needs because when I had the surgery, I mean, I'd been sick for a long time and I was just pumping in the painkillers. I had an open script for like in you know stuff that I could I'd be on the floor now um but to even get up and go to work I was you know full of full of prescription painkillers all the time and that brings its own problems so I was always unwell but I just ignored that and went to the pub on Fridays and you know did the whole corporate life and then it got to the stage where you just I mean as we all know that's got a time limit. So mm. it got so bad that I that I had the surgery. But that was absolutely a blessing because when I woke up from the surgery, it's still one of the clearest memories I have waking up from the surgery. And my surgeon was so excited because <laughs> I had been told 
um, multiple times. There's nothing wrong with you. Endometriosis is so hard to diagnose, especially um, without surgery, almost impossible. You get very lucky if it's diagnosed without a laparoscopy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been told so many times you just need psychotherapy. It's phantom pain that you're having and, you know, all of that. So when I saw my surgeon, he was like, you've definitely got endometriosis to kind of let me open you up and I'll tell you. I'm like, no, I don't want to. So he was excited because it was the worst um, stage four endo that he'd ever seen. <laughs> so he was pumped that he was right. He's like, yay. <laughs> and I'm like, yay, this is, you know, it's so painful. And then they, they kind of gave me the talk through of you'll never have kids you know, it was attached. Sorry, if this is a graphic for your listenership, but let's just go there. You know, it was it. Oh, we was, all go um, there, Crystal, so go for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we live for let's this. This is, this is what we're about. Perfect. So, you know, there was so much scar tissue. Like there was one piece of um, the scar tissue was the size of my surgeon's palm that they had to remove and that was attached to my bowel and they said you know probably you're going to have a a colostomy bag and you're going to you're never going to travel you're going to be in here every month you'll have a surgery every year and this is your life now you know you'll never have kids and I was 27 28 at the time and I guess I just sort of expected to have the choice to have a child Mm. um I hadn't considered it so much uh, but when the choice was taken away, I was absolutely fucking furious. Yeah. Like, how dare you tell me that? So then that set me off on a a whole health kick and researching endometriosis. So I, I did so many things. Chinese herbs was amazing. Acupuncture was amazing, really helped. Naturopathy, everything, did everything. Like for years, I just went really hard on my health and and eventually my surprise son arrived. I still kind of believed that it wasn't going to happen for me, but I wasn't going to give up either. Um, I think there was just like, I have a warrior spirit. I don't know if you've noticed, (laughs) (laughs) but if you tell me it can't be done, I'll probably do it twice as fast. So, um, you know, telling me I couldn't have a kid. I just, I just went on this kind of rampage of wellness which was wonderful. And that was traveling was a part of that because I realized there was a soul sickness too. There was a lot of denial. Um, In corporate, I'd watched people travel every year to Europe. You know, that was the thing you did. And Mm. I never went because I just kept promoting, getting promoted. I kept working really hard and I want the next thing and I want the next thing. And I went into project management and stuff and you couldn't really leave or someone would have your job. And I was always the youngest person promoted everywhere because I I wanted it so badly. So I never let go and I hadn't traveled. So the travel thing, you know, the digital nomad thing was a part of that wellness journey as well, Um, ticking off the bucket list and and doing that kind of stuff, really living. And I I definitely credit that to my body being able to get pregnant from there and and carry my son, excuse me, to term. So um, it's been quite the ride. Mm. (laughs) And in there I decided to break a Guinness World Record. So just quietly in the middle of that, I think <laughs> it just folds into the story. It just just slips just into a little just, <laughs> a little nook yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny yeah. because I had started feeling well, and and I have friends who have a lot of world records. So for them, it's normal, right? And I felt I've, I've got a good friend. He's got nine, maybe ten now. <gasps> of physical world records where he he rides different. Um, non-motorized transport he has this whole project and 
I sort of watched um, how into it he got and how he, you know, this this thing consumed him and then, he, and then he had something at the end of it. And he always used to say to me, but, you know, the world record doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, but I think it does, you know, underneath all that, probably when you get to 10, it doesn't mean so much. <laughs> but the first one must have meant something or you wouldn't keep doing it. It's not easy to get mm-hmm. a world record, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I was like, I, I need to know what that's like for me. Um, but now I know even better that he's lying because you don't do a world record by accident. It is so intense and so difficult, so admin heavy. I mean, the evidence, the weight of the evidence you need to provide to say you're the best in the world at something is intense too. You can't, it's not just like, hey, here I am. But there's, if it's a physical world record like I did, there's GPS coordinates, there's witness statements, there's witness books. Like you get checked in, there's, um, <clears throat> you're tracked the whole way along. Mm. So you report every day. I had to record two minutes of video for every single hour that I rode on the road. So, and submit all of that before they would even look at it. So I know how hard it is to become world-class just in terms of you have to really want it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, for me, I, I sort of watched him doing that and I felt like that was the next evolution of proving my body was capable um, and that I was going to prove to myself that I could be world-class at anything I choose. And, in fact, I, I decided to go from, you know, that place of, I was very vulnerable after the surgery, very, like I really, I was afraid to get on a tram and stuff. You know, I wasn't able to walk upright for a long time because it was extensive. Um, I'd never felt so small and human. And then I just wanted to get my power back. And for me, (laughs) being who I am, it wasn't enough that I was just walking upright. I had to prove I was physically the best in the world at something that I had no right to be good at, <laughs> like on paper, not an athlete, like never. I think I've stepped into a gym twice. I was a dancer when I was younger, but I'd been behind a desk for, as we said, you know, I've been mm. doing desk jobs for 21 years. So, yeah, I wanted to break the world record for the longest distance ridden on a bicycle rickshaw. And you did it. And and I did it, yeah. And you did <clears> which it. Which was insane in hindsight. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And what I'm hearing is it starts with the desire. Mm-hmm. It and I'm, what the other thing I'm hearing is it's not just the challenge that you embark upon. Everything else that surrounds it, admin wise, application wise, proof, evidence, all the rest, is another form of test or challenge yes. of your yes. gumption and tenacity. Yeah. Absolutely. It's also another level of internal proof. So for me, I think one of the things that was kind of missing was I knew my vision of who Mm. I am in the world. I mean, I know who I am Um, and being told no (laughs) didn't work for me, you know, and I knew that internally, but being able to physically prove it in the 3D was a step I felt I needed to take. And it's, it is, I mean, it's it's not for the faint of heart becoming world-class. It's a definite choice mm. and you have to make it on a lot of levels. It's not just that you perform the act, it's that you prove that the act was performed as well. And that requires, as you said, it's a whole other thing. Mm. Um, but for me, that piece of paper, and I've reflected on this a lot, you know, my friend Dave saying, yeah, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. To me, it matters. You know, my, my world record's behind me here. I don't know if they'll see the video, but <clears throat> I, 
I do look at it because I am challenged in my life um, regularly, as we all are, we're challenged. And you need sometimes something external to remind you who the fuck you are. Yes. Sometimes your own voice is not enough. Yes. And for me, proof that I'm world-class. It's something I couldn't do. I mean, it was impossible on paper. The doctors had told me I would never be this woman and I don't fucking accept it. And here's my world record at the end of it. Like, Mm. it's just not acceptable to me. So to prove it, it, it changed things in my life. It completely changed everything, the way I see life, Mm. because it's no longer just about, I know in my soul, La di da di da. It's a, I know in my soul, and I can fucking back it up. Yes. And now yes. I can sit in any room at any table with anybody, and I mean anybody. If they don't have a world record and they don't know what that took, I'm not uncomfortable. You yeah. know, like I know I deserve to be there. Yeah. And yeah. I just rode a rickshaw, but I do know what that takes, right? I know what it takes. I know the choices I had to make on a daily basis. I know what I had to do to elevate myself to that level. And that doesn't mean just turning the pedals. That that was obviously, a, it was probably the simplest part of it, turning the pedals. It took mm. me two mo- almost two months, 56 days to do this. I, anybody could do it faster than me. Please, if this sounds exciting to you, <laughs> please know my record is there. Step up to the plate. <laughs> Mate, you will do it better than me. I promise you. I, I, I was, you know, I was extremely slow and I wasn't, capable of it Mm. quote unquote you know Mm. my body wasn't built for this I didn't train at all I didn't prepare at all I had no idea what I was doing but you know I knew that I could ride a bike I knew I could turn the pedals one after the other and so I chose specifically a distance record because I knew that I just I could take as long as I wanted because it wasn't about speed it wasn't about time it was about my willingness to get to the goal no matter how long it took and I was willing to do it until it was done. Yeah. So for me, um, that was the piece, right? <clears throat> and it's definitely the piece that I talk about in my work now, um, designing world records for other people. It is about what is the desire. And it's not, none of us are, I, I don't know, I don't think anybody sits there going, I am, you know, I'm, I'm okay, let me rephrase this. A lot of us know that we are world-class internally, <laughs> secretly, right? (laughs) Excuse me. We know this. And then on the outside, there's all this stuff saying, yeah, but you're not though like this and that and everything else. And you're just living this normal kind of life. But if you know that inside of you, there is always a way to put yourself in front of the mission and to have that mission achieved. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's going to look like someone else's. Um, So for me, it wasn't going to ever be about speed, but I knew that I had the internal fortitude to hit the goal if I was allowed to do it my way. Yeah. I knew that. Yeah. So I constructed an opportunity to do it my way. And so, and that's how it was achieved. That's why I always say anyone could do it faster, better, you know, <clears throat> pick a better road yeah. with more experience. You know, I'm not a cyclist. I'm still not a cyclist. I wouldn't do it twice. I've done it once. <laughs> <laughs> I would do a different one, you know. Um However, I think it just proves the point that you don't need to be a quote-unquote good candidate mm. for excellence to be excellence. That To be excellent, that's a choice, and it's a choice that we make repeatedly until we get there. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. And I want to ask, <clears throat> when it comes to excellence, you just said, I did it my way. Mm-hmm. 
What is the connection for you between excellence and people doing it their own way? Is there a connection? There absolutely is a connection. Um, I definitely am in the the world of modernising excellence, right? So a lot of the systems that we have currently um, that you can all bring up in your minds about what world records are about, et cetera, they were established, you know, 50 years ago or more, 70 years ago. Um, and they're outdated. And I think the the standards for excellence have completely changed what we believe as human beings. Mm-hmm. To be excellent now is not the same. It is not yes. now for anybody about individual achievement because if you're not taking your community, we don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, it's not ever now about I'm just the best in the room. It's like what is the impact that you're making? We expect that out of our leaders. We expect it of politicians. We expect it of people who are leaders in our community. However, the excellence industry has not caught up. So hello, Mm. here I am. Um, So excellence for me is beyond world best. Mm -hmm. And what that requires is us to be thinking in the way that we think individually and seeing what we see individually. It cannot be a replication of what's come before. Um, So for me, excellence can only ever be about diving deeper into what it is you believe, what you see, what's your vision, what's never been done, what's been done and what's beyond that, Mm. pushing ourselves there. And that's very individual. Um, And it's about leaning on the strengths that you have and the gifts that you've been given as, as a person, as a human being, as a soul, and leaning all the way into that and then pushing that to make it bigger. So for me, excellence is easier. That's the way my brain works. It feels easier to me to think about, okay, but what if, right? What's never been done? What's cooler than what's been done? Okay, that's been done. Yeah, that was cool, whatever. If it's been done, we're already a level ahead of that. Am I going to step into that that level of Mm. where, okay, well, that's been done. So I'm standing on that person's shoulders already. They have done that work for me. But world's best, current world best or past world best being the beginning, And then looking further than that, what do I see? What's the vision that I have from that platform? Not from underneath it, where I believe that I'm, you know, not world best. I wasn't the person who set a record in that arena. Therefore, I'm below that. I don't see it that way. If it's been set, then anybody can stand on top of that and look further. Mm. And so that's, that's the way I see excellence. If you feel there needs to be a change or you desire to stand in a particular arena, then we start with what's been done before. And look, that's a platform we we look out from. It's not mm. above, it's yeah. below. Yeah. We're already ahead. We've been born ahead of that. Yeah. Um, so that's the world I live in. <laughs> I think we play in a similar world. <laughs> I think Just we quietly. might do <laughs> I'm sitting here doing the bum shuffle, you know, because I was a bum shuffler as a baby. I'm doing the movement. I'm doing the motion. (laughs) I'm doing all the goofy smiles. And, yes, I just I am so here for this and I feel this. And you are, you are such a visionary and you are so, like, what I love and adore about you is your soft power. You are so powerful and you are so feminine and in your approach and in your demeanor and in your like you're just chef's kisses. <laughs> just Thank like, you. I love yeah. you too. 
We I'm can keep one. being friends now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be coming in for these compliments every day. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's kind. I'll just message them to you every day. Yeah, I love yeah. Word, yeah, words. Yeah, are my love language. I love the words. So <laughs> I am so curious to know from you what, and you mentioned something recently and it just, it really stayed with me. It was your reading into new bodies of work and you're holding this question for yourself is, what is it that set me apart from other people who don't do world records or start them but don't finish them or don't have mm. the willingness anymore? And my question to you is, is it mindset? Is it your nervous system? Is it your attitude? Is it a belief? What What is it all of the above? Like what's your best What's your hottest take on that? Yeah, I mean, that's always a work in progress Um, and working with clients. It's always a a question that I have. I'm intensely interested in the story behind how excellence is produced and and how human beings do that, right? Like I'm fascinated by that. I think that's stories that are not being told, which is why my company, I have a production company as part of it, and we produce documentaries when we produce world records because I'm fascinated, so I expect you all to be. <laughs> but, you know, the, the story behind that, how do people think? And um, I definitely see common features with people who do become champions, and there is a lot of um, um, studies, there are studies around this that I'm neck deep in at the moment because um, I like to have some data around what I feel. Um, so... What I have noticed in my work and that I'm seeing with the studies that I'm investigating now is that there is very little difference between, they call it champions and almost champions, which I feel is Mm. really almost champion. Mm. Oh, that makes me like I would be angry being an almost champion. But anyway, that's that's my shit. Um, The difference is how we deal with failure. Or how we even perceive failure. So something that I recognized very early on in my sales career, as you mentioned at the start, I did a million dollar year for the company I was working for in 2004. I was really young. I've got an award back here for that. And other people weren't doing that. I had no skill set. I was new to the job. Um, But what I did notice is no didn't bother me at all. Um, I didn't see someone saying no to me as I have failed here. I didn't see that. And I worked for a telecommunications company um, in Australia, very famous, te- the most famous te- telecommunications company. And, <laughs> I mean, we were calling people at dinner time. They hate you. I mean, I was put on campaigns and I asked to be on these campaigns that had a 1% strike rate, which means one in every 100 people we expect to say yes to a sale. That was the expectation. I mean, that was the toughest um, campaign I ever did. I love that campaign because being told to fuck off and no and whatever in my mind wasn't a problem because I'm only expecting one of you to say yes. I'm going to sell to two of you. I'm going to get a 200% outcome on this campaign by just getting two people to say yes. And I know if there's 100 people in a room, at least two will say yes before I even open my mouth. I have no doubt about that. I know I can connect with two people out of this hundred. So no matter what the 99, 98 said to me, I never considered that a failure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, however, everybody else hated that campaign. They would never go on it. It was like, I can't deal with being 
told no all day long. I can't deal with this level of like stress of this campaign is the way that they saw it. So I really recognized early on that that was different. I was just naturally optimistic about it. And so I didn't even see it as a failure. And and then in my coaching business, like generating my own income, I don't remember the failures of what most people say, oh, that was a failed launch or I didn't get any sales. I couldn't tell you, honestly, what happened yesterday because I don't see it as a failure. If I didn't get the outcome I wanted, I just wasn't done. Yeah, I've got other avenues to try. I either self-selected not to continue going for that goal or I got the goal and I'm happy with the outcome. There's no such thing for me as, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. Well, if I didn't get what I wanted that way, I'll get it another way. So I see failure very differently. I I couldn't tell you that I failed a launch. I would according to other people's standards, of course. I don't get everything I want all the time, but I do know there's another way to go about this. Or if I've got a financial goal, how many ways can money come to me? I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I, I generally feel within myself I will succeed at what I've chosen to succeed at. That is the difference. So where I've seen people fall down with world records, and I've I've got to say (laughs) world records is like an intense, um, it brings out everything in a way that nothing else can because you can do anything else in life, but until you're under the microscope, you've told the world you're going for world's best, which you have to do. You've made a claim, you've staked a claim that I am going to be at this level, never been there before. There is work that goes on within you and things that will come up that unless somebody has also been through that process that you could never explain. And certainly my clients, I know, would agree with that, that if you don't have a world record, you don't even know what pressure is, right? Because being failing in your own little life, okay, failing, air quotes again, but um being willing to do it publicly when you've mm. said you are standing at the top mm-hmm. level beyond everything, that is, you know, next level. So everybody has that same pressure and everybody has that same experience. The people who overcome it, uh, they pick themselves up differently. They see it differently to begin with and they pick themselves up differently. So I've seen clients before we even get to the world record, like in the planning phase, already decide it's a failure and lose their shit, like well before we've even given it a crack. Like just the idea of giving it a crack is, you know, overwhelming, cannot do it, have to pull back, and that's completely fine. Um, But that is different to someone who goes, whoa, this is intense. Okay, I'm going to just keep putting one foot in front of the other because that's all I can do today, or today I feel this, I'm going to do what I have to do to take care of that, but I am going to show up. I am Mm. going to get back up, and my goal I'm not changing the goalposts. I'm going to go to world class. And if, you know, getting help with that. So that's the only real difference. So in terms of mindset um, or in terms of what it is, it is mindset. It's not skills-based. It's not talent-based. We all pick what we want to be world-class at based on our values. Mm -hmm. So that's changeable, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but the act of champion or non-champion, the achievement of that comes down to how you handle it, how you view it. Um, Do you believe deeply within yourself that no matter what goal you set, you would achieve it? Is that intrinsically in you? And it's a thing I feel I'm not able, I mean, I'm a good coach, I've, I've been around the block, but that part, if you believe deep, 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 deep down, You can be coached to a certain level if you believe deep down you'll fail 
you can be coached to a certain level, but you cannot be coached to world-class level because you will reach a certain point of pressure where you will just decide I'm going to fail and this will be the worst failure because everyone's watching. I'm just going to destroy it before I even get the chance and then I can live with it because I've got the excuse. Whereas if you believe deep down, I will actually, I don't care how hard it is, like internally, way deep down internally, however hard it is, I will triumph. That is the piece that will get you through to the end because the pressure is the same for everybody. It's really hard. I mean, there's no there's no joke. I think the statistic is out of every uh, thousand people who attempt a world record, only one gets through. So 999 people fail out of every thousand attempts. So for me, that is that is the decider. That's the that's what I've seen in my work. Yeah. Yeah. So looking back, how interesting that that stat that you just gave has so many parallels with the stat that you gave earlier on about the one person out of 100. I mean, I granted numbers, but one out of 1,000, one out of 100. So looking back, you can see in some ways how your work was priming you your work, a combination of your work and the context and your attitude was priming you to take this on with the, like with the vigor that you took it on with, like the fact that you see failure differently. And I was also feel like when I was listening to you, I was like, oh, rejection, like rejection doesn't, doesn't threaten you or, or, or create a fear response in you. That's a big activator and trigger for a lot of people is that rejection so for you that didn't apply what what I was hearing was it's more important to not reject yourself and that's what some people do in that process is they get so scared of failing that they pull out and they kind of self-reject and reject the process before it can happen in another way shape or form by progressing bit of a so I feel like you're I feel like your work history and everything that you embarked upon, your health issues, everything was shaping you to really take on that world record in a way that 999 other people maybe don't have the mindset for. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to hear it reflected back that way. Um, I think you're... I do know I'm very aware that everything has formed me to come to this moment. I think a lot of us feel that way where we're able to go, everything has been training me for this moment Mm. in my life, you know. Um, Yeah, but I think that's really true. And it's funny as you speak about rejection, my mind is going, if there, if I, mm, yeah, interesting. I don't consider rejection. Like if I'm going to make a huge pitch and you and I are in um, similar, the same mastermind. So we're in a similar world where people are making massive pitches, right? And I think about a pitch I'm going to make, maybe it's 250000 or a half a million dollar pitch. There's no part of me that thinks they will say no. <laughs> and I know that sounds really arrogant, but I wouldn't be making the pitch if I felt like it wasn't a thing that is going to happen. It wouldn't be <sighs> in my mind unless I knew in my heart. It's a thing. I wouldn't be making a pitch until I feel that way. So I'm not going around willy-nilly pitching everyone a half a million deal. Yep. I am deeply in the energy of, oh, we're, we're doing this together. This is a thing we're doing together. Great. So there's no consideration for me that there will be a no at the end of it. It's just how am I going to negotiate this relationship so that we're on the same page? 
um, we're in the same energy. But there's no part of me that thinks it's a no. And I think like also even that even knowing that statistically with that campaign there was 99 no's out of 100, I just wasn't looking in that direction. So I didn't count the rejections. Rejection didn't occur to me. I was looking for the one yes, not Mm. looking at the 99 no's. So rejection doesn't exist in my mindset. It's not there. Mm. Like I don't, the word doesn't exist in my in my makeup. It just doesn't exist. Either I'm not aligned with what I'm doing or I'm looking in the direction of the yes. So yeah, I think rejection is a really interesting one. I feel like I have, um, you know, even at school and stuff, I had the same dramas as everybody, you know, bullied all the time. Um you know, I was in the cool girls group, but they were really mean to me. I was like the not cool girl in the cool girls group, right? Mm. (laughs) So I copped all the shit. And I, the way I dealt with that, I just became very internal. And I remember saying to myself in grade 10, I will get through this year. I will be the person that I want to be. I remember having that talk with myself, even though everyone's being mean to me, which felt like the end of the earth, because it is when you're in high school, these people don't get it. Like I felt in myself, I had a physical talk with myself that I will achieve what I want to achieve regardless of the circumstances. Um, And I feel like that really internalised from from there. I remember that talk with myself really clearly because I was so sad. I was a little lonely, but I think that really taught me to be very internally self-reliant and believe that I was creating the outcome that I wanted. And the stuff that's going wrong around me was temporary. Mm. and that those people that were doing that I mean they're not my people I'm like have no interest in you being in my world so yeah you are in my world I wish this wasn't happening however we're not going to be friends after school this is like we're not we're not this is not it so um I do think that that was a, a a gradual thing for me building that up but I just remember feeling that way you know generally feeling that way even as a younger child or like I will sort out what I want. I remember going for job interviews. I know I've already got the job. Why are we here? You know, (laughs) if I'm applying for it, I've got it. That is, and I never got a rejection, rejection. I just didn't see it happening. And Mm. I think that was the energy that people react to. And I do think that energy, that's something that you can cultivate. Yes. And that can can lead you to, if you're in the right circles, like we are, Mm -hmm. Come hang out with us, guys. Yeah. You see stuff going on that's just like blows my mind. People yeah, it's, it's actually and- off the planet. There is stuff happening in our circles that is not happening on this planet and is intending Correct. to happen in space. So it is oh, yeah. <laughs> out of this world. Oh, yeah, we're doing space <laughs> stuff, guys. I've got my space flight booked, people. With, yeah. So, but, yeah, we are actually like doing crazy stuff. But there's people in our world making $50 million deals. And, mm. you know, two years ago, I couldn't calculate those numbers, even though I've been working with millions for a long time. Yep. It's it's still, you know, it's new. You've got to surround yourself with people who are doing things that are so outside of your sphere yep. so that you can elevate to that, that piece. But I do think the way you speak to yourself determines everything because anybody, and I mean anybody, you do not have to be a candidate for excellence or world-class or what you believe, you know, have qualified. I've got no, I didn't finish high school. Can I just drop that in there at the end? I do not have my high school certificate. 
because I started working because it made more sense to me to work and learn at the same time. The school system didn't, I wasn't not able to do it. It didn't make sense to me. But anyway, from a qualifications point of view, find me one. I don't have any. (laughs) And yet, and yet I am designing modern excellence. That is a standard I'm setting in the world and I know that I'm the person to set that. Um, But that's been a journey. So the way that I've had to talk to myself along that way it's definitely the decider. Yeah. It starts with a decision. So it's so, so many people cannot connect with this or they don't want to connect with it or they don't get it. It's so much about what happens in your life is about deciding. And just going back to your year 10 experience, you decided that you were the constant in your life and everything mm. around you was changeable, malleable, people come in and out, blah, blah, blah. I am the constant. And that was a that was a decision to recognize that and to stick. Here's the other thing about deciding is you stick, you stuck with it. You didn't just mm-hmm. decide and then bail on your decision. You set it as a standard and you kept living according to that standard. Oh my God. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, because you're right. I will never bail on me. Never. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. I might want to, I'm like everybody else, you know, I've been through addictions and stuff where I've wanted to bail on myself. I've given it a crack. (laughs) It's not for me. You know, at the end, I will rise and there's nothing I can, I mean, I've got this in common with a lot of um, clients and stuff where they just can't help it. They have to keep pushing boundaries. They have to keep going up and up and like we might want to give up, but we can't because there's something in there that is telling you already, as we said at the very beginning, you are meant for something incredible. You have a vision that you're ignoring that is so beyond what anybody has ever done before. And that's why I say like qualification, none of that is an indicator of your ability to play at the highest level at levels that have never even been invented yet. That's the the end that my company play at. We create world records that are unbreakable because they're world first. No one can ever break a world first. So I don't do let's keep breaking the same record, which is the old system. I do what's never been done let's do that and when it's a world first that's the new level right and the next people get to stand on your shoulders and to do that all that's required is a vision Um, but I do think reflecting back as well a lot of my journey has been very solitary even writing that rickshaw I knew I could rely on me Mm. and I think one thing that is a beautiful full circle moment for me is that now I coach clients through that and they're not alone. And that feels really special to me because to have somebody support you through a journey that only someone who's done it can, um, I think that's the most satisfying part of my work now. Yeah, I love breaking world records. I, I like shaking things up, yeah. let's say that. But being able to be there for the person when they experience that world-class mindset work um, and being able to reflect back that I know what that feels like and let's do this together that is something that that I cannot replace with anything else. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Yeah, and you are you are irreplaceable. And what you offer really is it is bespoke. It is one of a kind. And I really appreciate when people have had an experience of isolation in achieving something. And this this is the actually a parallel between our two businesses. This sense of isolation in something and not wanting other people to have to do it the way that 
we did it or the way that we learned it, mm. to know that there is another way that actually accelerates your growth, expands your mind, your vision, your attitude, all of it. Mm. And that's what I, that's just such a gift that um, I think women in particular are very, that is where our generosity really shines. It's I did it this way and, yes, it's possible for you to do it alone this way. Of course it's possible. However, there is this other way where you can feel connected and where yes, you can. Yes, quicker, better and more fulfilling if you don't. Yes. we can do it together and I'm here. Yes. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It is beautiful. (laughs) Crystal, thank you so much. I have taken, I know I've taken so much from what you've said today and I'm just like reeling with gratitude and it's so much excitement to be in the sphere of someone who sees things in a similar way to me and just, and wants more and wants the satisfaction and wants like just, Oh, it just really, it really excites me. As I say, it really turns me on uh, because you are a rare gem and I know that this episode is going to activate more women to really source their own gem inside, to ask what are my standards, how am I backing myself, am I in my own corner, am I remembering who the fuck I am, am I not allowing myself to self-reject. And those lessons are priceless. So thank you so much. I'm just wondering if you can share with us where we can find you in person, online. Where in the world are you? (laughs) Absolutely. You can find me on, I'm not on socials much. Um, Mm. So you can go to my website, which is extremeexcellence.com. Of course it is. Or find me on LinkedIn, Crystal Davis. Um, Or find me through Lauren. We're connected. Yep, we're connected and I will put I put all the links in the show notes and yeah, but your website is stellar. It is of an exceptional standard, so please go have a look and really have a look at some of the world records that Crystal has been involved in and at the helm of and just go go indulge and go be in the realm of excellence there's so much more coming from you I know I can't say but there is so much that's happening and so much that's moving in your world and we are all here for it so thank you so much for being a guest today and sharing the secrets of extreme excellence thank you absolutely my pleasure 